Because you are special, I'm going to punish you. Turn to me and live. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Turn to me and live. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today is Eric. Morning. And Karen. Hello. And back from his trip to New York City is Tracy. Good morning. Tracy's just been telling us all about the amazing foods he had, and I'm sitting here. I haven't had a breakfast. My breakfast so far has been about five or six sips of water, so... He's talking about Dominican Republic food and 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 Jewish pastrami and um, oh, thanks, Tracy. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm sitting here halfway through a cup of coffee, going, "My tummy's rumbling now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to get out. We got to record quick so I can go find something to eat. <laughs> yeah, quick, everyone, be interesting. <laughs> well, hey guys, I got a really cool gift from my wife this week. Occasionally, she gets me really cool stuff. Um, you know, all those times when we talk about, boy, I really wish I knew what the culture or what the what the what the background was for this verse. I don't understand what the what the what the context is. Well, she picked me up a cultural backgrounds study Bible, and this thing is really awesome. It's got so many notes on. The culture of the time and it, how it relates to the texts we read. Um, and there's actually almost more notes than text, but boy, it is really just in our reading for this week. I've have I've been referring to the notes in it a whole lot, and uh, this thing is really cool. It weighs about 500 pounds. Um, <laughs> I, don't know, I know that's an exaggeration, but I mean, why really, does it have really a rainbow cool. of satin hanging out of it? Oh no, that that's something I put in there. It's a it's just some ribbons for uh, bookmarks. Oh. Okay. <laughs> That's something else my wife got me a while back. She got me the whole mess of them. There's like five or six of them. And you put them into the bindings of your Bible, and then you can mark different passages that you're reading and stuff at the time. Super handy. Because uh, I was always just sticking little pieces of paper in all, of, all over the place, and then they get mis- misplaced and stuff. And So no, it's just a, it's a, it's a cool bookmark that my wife got me here a while back. So yeah, anyway, that thing is really cool, and if you have the opportunity to check one out, I would recommend it. I mean, I've only been looking at this one for about a week, and and uh, I'm just I'm kind of gushing over it because it's uh, just had a lot of cool information in it. Well, we are in the book of Amos this week. We have been talking a lot about the divisions of Israel from Judah and all of the different kings and all the things that they've been doing and this just slow not i don't even calling it slow but this decline of the of the nation that god had set up by bringing them out of egypt and setting them up um in a land that he would promised to them and last week we started uh in the last couple of weeks we've been talking about isaiah and the prophecies he's been giving and so this week now we get introduced to a different guy, uh, basically a contemporary of Isaiah, named Amos. Now the text starts out by introducing him as a sheep breeder, which I thought is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't, I mean, interesting on one hand, but sort of, it sort of seems to be the MO of God to uh, take these obscure people and give them these great messages 
to give to people. And by great, I don't necessarily mean happy because because Amos's message is not a, is not a happy one. But um, but yeah, just the idea that Amos just seems like maybe he was just kind of an obscure dude. And now he has this message for for Israel. He starts out in verse two right off the bat. The Lord roars from Zion. The, the idea of God <laughs> roaring, that tells me right away that he's not he's happy. Not very, yeah, he's not happy. He's not happy. I mean, the idea of a lion roaring, I mean, I've been to the zoo and you hear him roar and it's a it's an ominous sound. And uh, it's really cool. But uh, you you know that 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 cat is not something you want to mess with. You know, yeah, I'm, yes. I'm like really glad that there's there's a big pane of glass in between us when uh, when you can get up close because here at the Denver Zoo they have a spot where you can get up right up next to them and and uh, it's super cool but um, the idea that uh, yeah you you just uh, when you hear that that's that isn't something I would necessarily want to encounter unwittingly in the wild let's just say that now there is going to be some judgment on the nations and that's kind of the the that's kind of the basis of the the message that Amos has for Israel, not just for Israel though. What did you think about? What did you think about all? It sounds to me like everybody in the area yep. is is uh, is going to have some comeuppance coming here. Talks about Damascus is going to be punished for the way for attacking Gilead, Syria, um, Syria, Gaza is going to get uh, punished for for let's see for delivering their captives to Edom. Uh, Tyre is going to get punished for delivering captives to Edom. Um, Edom is going to get punished for attacking Israel. Well, and Edom is. So the thing I thought was interesting about this list was that it got progressively closer to home. Did you guys Mm -hmm. notice that? Yep. Like it starts off talking about foreign nations or whatever. Well, then you get to Edom. Well, Edom is the descendants of Esau, right? Mm -hmm. Ammon and Moab, they're they're next. Those are the descendants from Lot's. Uh, two daughters and lot and then you get and then all of a sudden it's judah and then it's israel and it's just like whoa like like the degrees of god's people chosen people relatives of god's chosen people are lumped right in with israel and judah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i just remember as i was reading through it i'm thinking you know you're reading you're all these things and i i suppose i can imagine that as these judgments are coming down, people are like, oh, yeah, those guys have it coming. Oh, yeah, those guys have it coming. Right. You know, because we never we never want to believe that we're the ones who have it coming. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just goes it goes down through this list. One of the things I noticed, well, a c- couple. One of them is that um, some of them, it's, it's uh, fairly specific, like in chapter 1, verse 8. When we're talking about um, the inhabitants of Ashdod and the Philistines, God says the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. And there's other remnants. He says, I will keep a remnant. He says that of Israel and Judah. But here he says, no, there's not even going to be a remnant left. It's done. And these races, they are, in fact, gone. When he says they're going to be done, they, they end up being done and gone. The other thing is that there's a pattern. You know, if, if our listeners have read this, each of these, if it starts off with Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and Edom and Ammonites and Moab, all of them start the same. For three transgressions, 
and for four, I will not revoke punishment. They, they all start exactly the same way. And I guess from that, I see that God is saying, hey, this wasn't the first call, right? It's like, I warned you before, you've had, you've struggled with this before, and now your patience does run out. Eventually, there's a time when judgment will happen, but this isn't the first time. And I think sometimes we as humans kind of get used to, well, if I didn't get in trouble the first time or the second time, then I'll probably never get in trouble. I was kind of the same way, too. Is it's, It wasn't a first time thing. There were multiple infractions, basically, and it was just too much at this point. It makes me think about how long things went between the time Abraham was promised the land and the Israelites finally took it. And if you remember back, us talking about how God was being patient and he was giving the people in the area time to straighten themselves out. And it just never, they just never really did. And so now, you know, when we're, we're seeing these judgments put on them, we're seeing this from an aspect a very direct aspect where God had been kind of, you know, it seems, at least as far as the narratives we've been reading, it was like he was sort of in the background uh, waiting for something to happen, and now something is really going to happen. You know, I was looking at this, and it just kind of reminded me every time we were going through all the the succession of kings in Israel and, and Judah that, you know, it always started off with they started off well and they started off following the Lord, but they couldn't get rid of the high places. Mm -hmm. That's what it kind of kept me going back is that just like you were saying right now, it's like they never could resolve the problem entirely. It's like they made strides to get rid of it, but just couldn't let go of it. And it was yeah. to the point of where, you know what, we can't do this anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, that's and that's it. That's, we talked about how kind of this this judgment kind of zeroes in like a bullseye on um, Judah and Israel. Eventually, is notice that the other nations are public are punished. And from what I read, the theme seems to be violence. All of these heathen nations are punished for their excessive violence to others. Mm -hmm. But when it shifts in chapter two to Judah. They receive punishment because in chapter two, verse four, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray. They have a, they have a different situation where some of the things that they are punished for. Yeah, violence is mentioned, but in two uh, verse five, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample the head of the poor. And they turn aside the way of the afflicted. And that's a theme that we see not just in Isaiah and Amos, but other places in the Old Testament where God is calling out his people for the mistreatment of people less fortunate than they are. I mean, this is a judgment of God. The popular evangelicalism, I mean, oh, we're, we're going to be down on, you know, one of the popular ones is, is um, gay and trans community. That's easy pickings. We're going to mm. we've heard about that. Right. We see that in headlines. When was the last time you saw a headline of a, of a modern evangelical church getting in trouble for saying we need to stand up for the poor? Yeah, we need to stop oppressing um, the afflicted. 
that's just not as popular a theme these days. And if somebody goes there, it's like, oh, you're a liberal. It's because it's as if everything is political now. Right. This is this just uh, just a hat tip here to to modern politics. But that's all it gets, because there were no Democrats and Republicans when Amos is writing this. What? Why are we studying this? Crazy. Like, what point point is there? But his God is concerned about a number of things that these days we don't tend to focus on. And what we see here going forward in Amos for as it pertains to Israel and Judah is the treatment of those less fortunate than them, as well as worship and how it's done. This is it's it's not a thing that God winks at. And to the point where it's like, hey, for, for three transgressions and for four, he's saying, I'm counting down. It's like, even if, even if you had kids, whether it worked or didn't, we've all tried this. It's like, all right, five, four, <laughs> three. And just a, for parents or, or parents who will be, it's better if you just don't tell them what's going to happen when you get to zero. Better to keep that a mystery. <laughs> just, <laughs> just count down and let their imaginations fill it in. Um, that's essentially what it looks like God is doing. He's saying, all right, I'm counting down here. This is going to get serious. Yeah, so they, they do. They have kind of their own list of things that they are getting, they're getting judged for. Like you said, the treatment of the, of the poor, the, the way they worship. It's, it's uh, described as lying down by every altar. I took that, that they're just ready to take on whatever. Some, somebody comes up with some odd new thing. Yeah, the next new thing. Ooh, look at this shiny thing, and and uh, wow, let's let's go there. And uh, you know, talking talks about forbidding lending practices. You know, taking advantage of people that you lend to. But uh, God reminds them, starting in verse nine, about how He's worked on their behalf. He just he's destroyed the Ammonites. He brought Israel out of Egypt. Uh, he's given them prophets and and uh, said Nazarites. But but Israel, they never acted properly towards the ones that God raised to lead them. Think of the times that we've read here recently about kings who didn't like a prophet because they never said anything nice about me, that kind of thing. And uh, so they gave the Nazarites wine. They told the prophets not to prophesy. Um, you know, we, we've studied some of these things and we've read some of these things and we know how how. You know, the Nazarites had particular restrictions put on them and uh, telling a prophet not to prophesy. That's that's one that's sort of baffling to me. I don't I don't like what you're going to say. I should say it's not surprising at all because people, Mm. human nature, do not want to be told they're wrong, period. They just don't. We've we've run into that. Not so much me, but my wife works in healthcare. People don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong they just don't like it and uh, there are there are um, without getting too specific there are incidents in our modern culture where when people have said hey this is wrong or dangerous behavior they are in fact physically assaulted Mm. because people do not want to hear what they don't want to hear they just don't want to hear it and they'll take it out on the messenger and jesus specifically says this as he's entering Jerusalem and he's basically he sees Jerusalem going to be destroyed again okay remember this is Jesus day and we're here in Amos and we're talking about the same thing the destruction of of these 
of Jerusalem, right? And he says, you're the ones who stoned the prophets. He tells that parable. Remember, it's like there was a there was a uh, there was a person who who um, who built a, a vineyard and put walls around it and then sent, uh, you know, and then rented it out to renters. And then when the time of grapes was due, they sent uh, his messengers to collect the rent. Great. And the people in the vineyard said, hey, let's beat him up. Let's kill him. Let's mistreat him. Those are the prophets, by the way, that, that in that in that scenario. And this Jesus is calling out the Israelites for doing this for hundreds of years, because the time the time on this book of Amos is somewhere between 800 and 750 uh, B.C. is my recollection here. Mm-hmm. So this is a problem that goes way back. And Jesus is saying, you all have a habit of just not being willing to listen to correction. It's a really old problem. Yeah. And it was interesting. Uh, chapter two, verse, uh, I think it's 13. God says, I'm weighed down by you. You know, we always say that you, you, you can't, you can't put too much on God. Well, maybe you can, <laughs> maybe, maybe it is possible to put too much on God. And we're not talking about giving him your troubles here, but just this constant, constantly doing opposite of what he's told you will, will be good but for, for God to say that he's weighed down. I think that is quite the statement for him to make because it has, it's been a long time and these people just have not, they haven't been very grateful. Let's just say that it doesn't seem like it. Uh, Amos three, uh, verse two, he talks, it says, God says, you only have I known. I thought that was an interesting phrase. The idea that, and I don't think it means that obviously it doesn't mean that God doesn't, hasn't known everybody else in the world but like there has been special consideration giving to the israelites because we don't i don't know of any i don't know of any other writings messages whatnot where god specifically went to other people in the world um specifically set them aside gave them instructions you know i mean if these things happened we don't have a record of it you know, and the world's a big place. Of course, it was, you know, the population was a lot smaller then. But um, I'm thinking even by the time we're reading now, the pe- people in the world were, were spread out quite a bit. But uh, they've been given they've been given a special consideration by God. And so they're held especially accountable. That's um, you know, I think that's something to remember to think about when when you've been called by God. And given specific instructions like this, you have a little, you've got a little more on your plate that you have to pay attention to. Like again, remembering when, when the ark got taken away and then it was put on a cart and sent back and God kind of winked at that. But then later when the Israelites put it on a cart and somebody reaches out a hand to stop it from falling, he falls over dead. You know, the, the idea that one group had been given specific instructions and the other had not and so they were they were held more uh accountable uh for that you know at first that might sound really like oh god's being unfair to these people he's got so many more requirements on them okay i've got two kids one's 18 one's 12. one of them when they're 18 has to know you come to a complete stop at an intersection 
you can turn right on red. You have to always signal your turn to the left. You have to leave adequate time for the oncoming cars before you turn. The other one, his rules are don't get hit by a car when you cross the street, right? Because mm -hmm. one of them is a driver and one of them isn't. So one of them has much more advanced opportunity as well as responsibility. And the one to whom has very little responsibility, you know, he also doesn't have those same opportunities. And I believe that God is, he is gracious when he gives people these opportunities, but also with that comes responsibility. So I, I'm curious, I don't know the answer to this, but that text, like you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Like that's quite a statement. But um, I've got this parallel Bible that gives sort of different versions of what that means. Like I'm remembering how throughout the Bible, most examples I can think of are in the Old Testament where the word no means intimacy up to and including the level of sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived, right? So there's it's a it's a statement of intense intimacy. So when I so this was one of those verses that I looked at across all of these translations. So my two translations are New King James, you only have I known of all the families on earth. Um New International Version, you only have I chosen of all the families on earth. And then I and then there's two paraphrases. New Living Translation says from all the families on the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. And then <clears throat> the message says, out of all the families on earth, I picked you. So there's two themes there. <clears throat> like one is a theme of, of intimate knowledge and one is a theme of having chosen that. Did you catch the difference? Like there was one translation and one paraphrase that followed each of those paths which kind of gives you a little bit of, of a clue what the original word is all about. But um, I thought that was really interesting. Like just that statement, like you only have I known of all the families on earth, therefore I will punish you for your iniquities. I thought that was a, I spent a long time thinking about that sentence. Yeah. The intimacy there, I think that really is the, the point. But, but look at the follow up to that. Like mm -hmm. he's, he says that, and then he draws a bunch of comparisons. Like he draws a bunch of parallel things as examples. I mean, that's the way it reads at least of examples of that same thing. And do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground with no bait in it? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything, etc., etc.? Like he's drawing obvious comparisons that, from God's point of view, make it make sense. Make his first statement, you only have I known of all the families on earth, therefore I will punish you. Like to him, he's drawing comparative correlations to make his point obvious. Like that's the way this reads to me. And I kind of had to sit and digest that for a while. I thought they were really interesting. Mm -hmm. What did, did you guys notice those at all? Oh, yeah. 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 I think that that's leading right up to the very next verse, seven. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Mm -hmm. He's telling them, hey, 
there is, you guys are special to me. We've had this relationship. I have expected a lot from you. And I'm about to tell you something. Like, you need to listen up. And I'm going to do this through the prophets. And again, it goes, it circles right back to the very, what you started with, Matt, the lion roaring. The lion mm -hmm. is roared. Interesting. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He's saying, I mean, and, and this is a unique thing about the book of Amos, is there's almost no narrative. Right. At least so far. It's all prophecy. I mean, this is, Amos is just, he, he's kind of like writing down what God says to, to do. It's, this isn't a lot of just Amos putting Amos's perspective in here. He's writing for God. And the whole thing that Karen's talking about here is that, um, is it starts with this relationship? Like, look, I chose you. You should know something is coming. Something is going to happen. I'm telling you now because I don't do things without giving you a warning. I will speak through my prophets, seven. And eight is like, here it comes. Yeah, it's kind of like when get, God has gotten to the point where he speaks, there's going to be somebody who repeats what he says. What, what was that? Um, was it an insurance company that used to have a and so-and-so talks people listen? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really matter who it was, but there used to be a commercial about that. Where you know, oh, I someone... think it was an investment company. Okay. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Button. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Button. Button. Yeah. That yeah. was it. Well, there's our there's our endorsement. Uh, they can they can write us a check. Um, right. But, yeah. <laughs> 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 but I mean, it's kind of that same idea, though. I mean, when God actually talks, there how how there's going to be somebody who who repeats it and. I'm wondering if maybe this isn't sort of inter in relation to the way that the prophets have been mistreated in the past. It's like, you know, if God has said something, the prophets are going to say it. They're going to repeat what he said. And whether you like it or not, this is going to happen. It also, you know, anytime something important is going to happen, it makes me think maybe we sh we could be looking for a prophet to speak out on it. You know, I mean, and when I say important, I mean like really world shattering stuff. You know, it seems like every time something big has been going to happen to the Israelites, there's been a prophet there to tell them about it. Um, yes. And that's so. an important point. And to look back in prophecy to see what is being foretold, because we always want the new thing, the new, new thing. It's like I had somebody ask me once, well, I wonder why we don't get any prophets today. I'm like, well, did we listen to the last ones? Um, well, and that's the problem. And this is a human nature problem is um, I managed some rentals, and this week came really close to some disaster uh, with some some tenants who did the thing that it says, oh, no less than five times, maybe, maybe seven, do not do this. Under no circumstances are you to do this. This is what you do not do. If you do this, there's big problems. Make sure whatever you do, you don't do this. Guess what? They did it. And then I call them and they're like, whoa, what? What? Uh, <laughs> what do we, does that mean us? Or like, yeah, that means you. And that is a human nature thing. I mean, I was a teacher for a while. And I, it, it just, it, I'm pulling my hair. You can't hear this on the uh, podcast, but it's, I'll say, look, there's going to be a teacher. There's a teacher. There's going to be a, an exam and I'll give the date. 
there's going to be an exam. There's going to be an exam. This exam is coming. This is going to happen. Here's the study questions for the exam. Let's review for the exam. Inevitably, the day of the exam, someone walks in and goes, what? What's going on? <laughs> it's just a human nature thing. And God is trying to tell people, look, in, in verse 7, I'm trying to tell you that I'm trying to tell you this. That's what God's saying, essentially. And when these things happen down the road, they all kind of go, what? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy a little bit. I I, I think that um, this is exactly what you guys are saying. This is well within human nature. I think there's a particular rash of this going on right now. Like there's so much information out there that we can reach out and cherry pick the things that we want to hear and disregard the rest. And there doesn't appear to be any penalty. Right. And it reminds me, it reminded me when I was listening to Eric talk and thinking about all this in Second Timothy 4, it says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So there's there's this very clear statement, and it goes right along with what God is saying. It's like God doesn't do anything without telling his people through the prophets first. And yet the people are over here with their eyes closed and their fingers in their ears singing at the top of their lungs and then going, you know, why aren't we hearing from the Lord? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So let's yeah. look at what, they, what, what God's trying to tell them, because we've talked about this, about how. They've set up the altars in the high places, and that never, Tracy's correct in what he said earlier, is like that, that problem never seemed to get corrected. And God constantly was reminding them, it's like, hey, you, you did pretty good over here, but there's this other thing that was unresolved. Here God calls it in chapter 3, verse 14, the day that I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel. Mm. Now, we to put that into context, we go back to 1 Kings 12, 25 to 33, and this is where Jeroboam's sin starts. He, he builds the golden calf. So the kingdom has just divided Israel on one side and Judah on the other, and Jeroboam's the king of Israel. And he thinks, man, if my people go to Jerusalem to worship, pretty soon I will lose political power. So to keep people close to home, I'll just build golden calves and I'll keep them close to home. We'll call it the worship of God. We'll call it the same worship, but we'll just have something to look at, something a little more concrete to get your hands on, so to speak. And because the Levites had fled, because they saw this coming, he said, well, we'll just pick prophets from our own people. Okay. Notice he's just basically he's going down through the Ten Commandments and doing all the things that God said not to do. Don't worship other gods. He's like, yeah, let's just pick something else up, but we'll call it God. Don't make any graven images. Hey, let's make a graven image. Elsewhere in Leviticus, here's who here's who is to minister before me. Eh, I'll just pick just pretty much anybody. God says, here's my special holidays and days. Jeroboam. I mean, you don't believe me. Read it. It's in First Kings 25 to 33. He just goes down the line and makes this stuff all up. He's like, well, I know you do that on that day, but we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to call it good. 
And in verse 33, it says he devised them in his own heart. So this has been going on for generations in Israel. And now God says, I am going to punish the altars of Bethel. In in another word, he's saying, you've been worshiping, but you have been worshiping in a way that I did not ask for, in a way that does not honor me, and it matters. Going through the motion matters. Uh, if you're not if you're not doing what I ask you to do, it matters, and it's not okay. Didn't we just read about that the other week, where it was like this? I hate your songs of worship. I yep. hate your services and your holidays. I hate your this. I hate your that. I cannot stand. I don't even want to hear you. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, that's a and in chapter five. Just it's yeah. a total echo of of, of Isaiah. And we, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. But yes, yes, this is it goes right back to the God's warned. He's roared like a lion. It's like, listen up, people. Yeah. So he's going he's going to take away all of this stuff they've had for worship. And that that chapter ends with basically every. Every symbol of wealth that they have is going to be gone. It talks about the summer house and the winter house. So how to put it? It says the uh, oh, I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. <laughs> I don't have a winter house and a summer house. If I did and both of them got destroyed, that would that would probably be devastating. Uh, the houses of ivory shall perish. The great houses shall have an end. So it's really talk. It's it sounds like it's really talking about all the wealth, all the stuff that they've built up. That's made them feel great. It's all going to be gone. It's going to. It's all going to go away. So, Karen, how did you like chapter four, verse one? <laughs> oh, hang on. I'm still in Second Timothy. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, I noticed that, and I was just thinking, man, I've had these conversations with other people. It's like, oh people, yeah, people have a hard time like listening when they when start things starts off antagonistically. But man, Amos, well, speaking for God, he's. If they didn't, if they didn't, if, if he didn't have their attention before, he definitely has it now. <laughs> he, he doesn't pull any punches here with this. I mean, he, so he's. The, so the yeah. insults here are cows of fashion on Mount Samaria. That's an insult. Women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. So part of that's the women and part of that's what they do. And say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. That is not a flattering image. In the slightest. No. <laughs> My ovaries are offended. <laughs> was, as I was reading that verse, I was like, oh, Karen's going to love that one. <laughs> but, you know, think about it. It's, 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 I find it fascinating is that today our picture of, of badness is typically, it's like, is it's, is it's often men and it's either it's like white collar crime or it's street crime or it's all these other things. God is calling out is like, hey, and he calls these women of Samaria cows. You cows are basically, if you as you read three and four, they're rich. They're living it up. They've got their their uh, their uh, slippered feet up on on the backs of the poor, and they're shouting to their women, "Give me another drink." And I guess my point with this is that God doesn't give a pass to anybody here he has an ideal for us and our behavior that's better it's better than that and whether you're a woman whether you're a man whether it's whether it's um you know false worship or whether it's violence or whatever it is god is 
calling everybody out because we like to just say, well, it's them. It's that gender. Oh, it's that race. Oh, it's that particular type of um, behavior that God doesn't like. And nobody's getting a pass here. Yeah. And I didn't. um, So to me, so nowadays there are lots of jokes made about millennial men and man buns and skinny jeans and you know what I mean? So all well deserved. (laughs) All well deserved. (laughs) But to me, this, that's our modern day equivalent of a weak person. Like that's the cliche that we point to whether it's true or not, right? You can right, right. you can say clichés develop because there are laws of averages, but that certainly doesn't mean that it's true of everybody in the right. in that age group and in that gender and blah blah blah. But that is that is a modern day cliché where we're just like all like, mm, yeah. Nice try. You almost made it to masculinity, but you're just you're just not there, right? So, when I read verse 1 of chapter 4, I basically interpreted it as it's that day and age's insult to you're supposed to be a leader and instead you're sitting around like a woman doing this and doing that. So the woman is part of the insult and that's a that's a you haven't stepped into your authority because you don't have authority, right? Like that's what that would be to this generation, to the generation in Amos. And then there's what they do, oppress the poor, crush the needy, and at the same time you're being demanding. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a uh, compliment, and and it, oh. it gets more pointed in verse four. Yeah, <laughs> um, come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply your transgression. Now this is a quote, and this is what God is saying. Hey, this is what you guys say. You guys say, let's do this. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, your sacrifices of thanksgiving, f- free will offerings. We think, well, wait a minute, isn't like sacrifices good and isn't tithes for God good and sacrifices and thanksgiving and free will offerings? Aren't those all good? This is a very important thing is that God is saying that's what you're doing on the outside, but on the inside. And then it starts again, a theme. We, we pointed out that at the beginning of, of um, the book of Amos, he says, you know, for three transgressions and for four. And there's that phrase that's repeated. There's one, two, three, four, five. Um, of these things that are repeated where God says, yet you did not return to me. He's calling their heart back and he's saying, you're doing all the motions, but you're not, your heart isn't there and it's not okay. And he really kind of comes to a crescendo in chapter five. Talks about how Israel just did not, they didn't uh, accept correction even through things like famine and drought and you know all the all these things we've talked about here before uh, there were uh let's see examples of blight and mildew and locusts and plagues and war and they would get compared to sodom and gomorrah and through all of these things the people they just didn't repent and turn to god now we've read days and you know the they would like turn for a while, but then eventually go back to their ways. And like we keep saying over and over here again, they just, they never got rid of all of it. They never got rid of those high places. They'd, they'd get rid of their little household idols or whatever for a while. But for some reason, they would just keep turning right around and going right back to the same old stuff over and over again. 
and they get reminded in verse 13 that God is the one who created everything and has influence over everything. And uh, he, he's the one. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, The virgin of Israel has fallen. Now, it's not talking about, I don't, it's not talking about a specific person here, but it's talking about Israel, Israel as, as an innocent, basically like as an innocent young girl with, with potential. And she's gone down in failure here. Did, did, did I miss it? Did we talk about verse 11 of chapter four? Uh, I briefly mentioned that they were compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. No, the part below that, you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. That's so mm. amazing. And, and it fits right in with chapter five. It's the same theme. It's like you guys were on fire, yeah. not in a good way. You were going to, it's like we were, we were out in the backyard a couple uh, weeks ago and my son was playing soccer and we were having a fire in a fire pit and the soccer ball landed in the fire pit. And my wife just grabbed the thing and threw it, pulled it out super quick before it burnt up. And that's the picture that I get here of God. It's like, you guys were going to get just roasted, burned up, ruined, and I saved you. Right. Mm. And I think that's the key, the plucked, plucked from the fire. I physically took you out of that situation. Yeah, and it's a reminder, and it goes right into chapter 5, what you're talking about. Is God setting the context? Like, look, I've been trying to save you for a long time here. Yeah, and I think that's the real point. That's so much of what Amos is trying to get across here is that God has done so much for them and, you know, like pulling them out of Egypt and, heck, giving them the law, you know, this this specific, having a, a specific uh, set of, of instructions given to you for for your well-being here again. I've never I've never seen any other culture. I mean, lots of cultures have variations on what I guess we could think of as the Ten Commandments, Um, but not just the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic laws given directly from God. You know, I mean, I think I see that as a bit of grace on God's part. He could have just let them flounder and try to figure everything out themselves. But he specifically he's been specifically working with them so patiently over, you know, the centuries at this point. And they've just been, they've just been so ungrateful. And, and may, I don't know, it's hard to say, having not actually been there, who knows how, how the four of us would have fared, you know. But just, just this idea of how hard God has tried and worked with them and, and coaxed them along and tried to teach them. And, uh, and they, just, uh, they just continue to fall. And so, yeah, that's where that chapter five kind of begins is they're they're they started out relatively innocent because, like I said, they didn't they didn't know. I mean, when they came out of Egypt, they didn't know how to be a nation. They didn't know how to be a cohesive people. Um, they had a they had a strong I suppose you could say they had a strong um, identity in in their commonality being, you know, coming from. Uh, all being the children of Israel. But beyond that, they didn't have a clue how to do anything. And they had to be taught the whole way. They're given a call to repentance and they're told to seek God for life. And specifically, not not the great cities. And when I was reading that, I kind of couldn't help but think about you and your trip here recently, uh, uh, Tracy. Uh-huh. Um, this, the uh, I think in our nation, we have a tendency to... Th- 
or at least a lot of people in the nation have a tendency to think of the great cities as like being the cultural centers and being where um, so much of our modern life should be patterned after, you know, yet at the same time, I think what they're trying to get across here or what I'm trying to get across here is those also tend to be the places of our moral downfall. And so they're told to they're told seek, seek the Lord and live. That's uh, that gets kind of get that that idea comes to us over and over again is look, look to the proper source of life rather than what everybody else is kind of valuing. Yes, because exactly, because it's, it's all in one sentence. Seek me. This is chapter five, verse the end of verse four and uh, beginning of verse five. Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over into Beersheba. He's mm-hmm. offering this as a contrast. And it's important to remember that Bethel was put forward as a substitute for God. It's like, eh, sure, there's Jerusalem and there's the way they do it over there. But we have the way we do it over here. Yeah. And so they're, they're offered as a viable alternative to the way God has asked it to be done. Mm-hmm. And that's the subtle thing, is that they, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not going to go after Chemosh, or we're not going to go after Asherah, we're not going to go after all those other things that obviously not God's, but we'll go to Bethel, we'll go to Gilgal, we'll go to Beersheba, we'll worship the golden calves, because, you know, close enough. Yeah, and then it goes a little step beyond that. You get into verse eight. It talks about how God says he made the Pleiades and Orion. And I had to think about that for a bit. I was like, what's the what's the what's the context here? Because I we haven't read anything really where God uses the stars to to give us messages and this kind of thing. But I think the surrounding nations probably did. Yes. And those are two pretty prominent, especially Orion. I mean, I think. That's one that could be picked up pretty easy. The Pleiades uh, isn't too bad if you know if you know what uh, what you're looking for. But um, where God, p- people would look to those things for signs, you know, and and so I think probably through some of these false religions that the people had been following, they would look to these. And Amos is like God. God made that stuff that you're looking at. Yes, um, he he's above all of that. So so why are you looking to that? God is over all of that. He is above that stuff and and looking to that stuff for your for for your knowledge and wisdom. Um you know what go go the step above and and look to God instead. It talks about how he he can bring happiness. How did it put it? I got I got to see here. But basically he he can bring happiness from sorrow, but he can also take away our joy. I don't think that's what he wants to do, but when it's necessary, he can. He, he he can he can run that whole spectrum, and sometimes he causes undesirable things to happen to the strong. You know, we've talked about this here before about how you know you might think everything is going everything's going great, but you know what? Sometimes things happen to the people that we're looking up to, or we we can look to people and think they've got it all together, and then things fall apart. You know, just your uh, your 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 personal. Your personal wealth, your personal strength, whatever, can can go away. It's, it's wind. Is it's interesting is when Jesus talks about these kinds of top topics, he says, "When your money fails you, 
you know, when uh, problems arise, it's, it's not an if, it's a when. And always, from the very beginning, God has been saying, don't lean on, fill in the blank, you know, your king, your ruler, your money, your army, your chariots, your, you know, summer house, your whatever. He's, he always says, it's me. You're supposed to look to me, look to me for these things. And people, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the same message, and they don't want to hear it. Verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's um, and if we would just say, he, he covers all the bases in verse 11. Therefore, because you trample the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him. I kind of think he's saying like, yeah, if you're blue or you're red and you're leaning too hard on everybody else, not cool. <laughs> Again, he's mm-hmm. not, he's God's standard is not our standard. He's, he's setting up something totally different here and what he wants. And he, he goes right on down verse 10, 11, 12. He, he wants people's, I know we want to say we just, it's just faith. It's just our heart. It's like, well, but if we have our heart and our faith in the right place, book of James, then you'll see it in right behavior. And Amos is saying not okay in yeah. so many ways. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, verse 11, therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time for it is an evil time. Now it's ironic because Amos is not being silent. So there's, a pretty hefty chunk of irony. It's kind of like saying, I would not open my mouth, but I am going to open my mouth. Is is there a time to not call out everybody and every wrong you see around all the time? <laughs> that is one of the greatest questions I think we've talked about here several times is knowing when to speak up and when to stay quiet. Yep. Uh, because we can't help but see what's going on and you wonder should I speak up should I say something when you do speak up you you get labeled as a hater or or a, or a fanatic which you know I don't I don't I guess I don't get I don't mind so much that I mean if somebody wants to call me a hater or a fanatic for speaking up against something that's wrong but yeah, there. I think sometimes it's like how much, how how much do you rail on it? How long do you keep talking about it? Are there times when it's better to just stay quiet and and uh, let people lie in their beds? You know, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's a uh, yeah. That's that's a that's a that's a narrow path that's that can be hard to hard to navigate. The thing that the thing that I think where it gets tricky is like I was saying earlier, there's so much information about there out there about pick a topic, right? And then how do you know when you have all of the information? Mm-hmm. So that you because if you don't, are you really in a position to judge? You know, let he who is without sin among you throw the first stone. So there's one aspect of it. Like, unless I'm over here living a perfect life and I and or I have all of the information I need to make a fully informed judgment call, who am I to point out something that needs to be different? And that is that is one of the tricks in my head that make it like, when do I speak up? Like, when do I speak up? There's 
there's an entire spectrum of behavior and thoughts and feelings and motivations, and they all are not visible to me. And so when and where and in front of who am I called to speak up? You know, that whole like be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. That's one thing. You know, Jesus says, um, my peace I give to you. It is not of this world. But he also says, I am not here to bring peace, but a sword. Right. So on this earth, it's not going to look like Jesus's full intentions, God's full intentions. And that's because we're here in this setting. And this setting is complex. And I don't think any of us will ever know all of the nuances that are contributing to a situation. And so knowing that I am at least guaranteed a tiny bit and much more likely a whole lot in the dark, when and where do I call something out? I have trouble feeling justified to do that, except in very, very, very small settings. And, and w even when I speak up, I have trouble saying anything, but I would never do that because here's how I see it. And, mm. and maybe I am up to my eyeballs in moral relativity, which is kind of a modern phenomenon of like subtle shades of right or subtle shades of wrong. I don't know. Maybe I have too much of that in me. But as a human, I have trouble knowing when and where to say what yeah that is uh that's kind of the age, age old question we've got here i think verses 14 and 15 kind mm -hmm. of address this seek good and not evil that you may live that's the thing that we get to do ourselves it's it's a lot less about me pointing to you and saying you should do x y and z it's like my call is for me to seek right. good and not evil it's for me to establish justice. And I think there is a place to, to call out, to speak out, to, to do. And God will put it on our hearts. Uh, if listeners don't know this story, it was years ago. All of a sudden, I felt inescapably that I needed to create a video resource to educate about pornography and how it's basically it's a false uh, it's stealing. It is stealing the very thing it promises to deliver, which is intimacy and how it damages relationships. And I couldn't not do it. I can't explain to you how how it happened. Um, Karen worked with me. It's called New Freedom to Love dot org. It's still it's still out there uh, on the Internet and you can find it. Um, I just felt compelled like I have to do this. I just have to. And then that was it. There have been a few other much smaller things where I've I've said something and somebody says, we want more of this. I'm like, no, I don't feel called to go for more. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. my call is the key, though. I think it's the key, like Karen was saying in the beginning, is is to search, to study, to pray, to petition, you know, that you make these right decisions and to and God will reveal what you should and what you shouldn't go forth. I think. Sometimes we just get caught in calling out every single thing we see. And I think that's the trap that Satan lays for us in today's society is there's just so much out there. It's hard not to get twisted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's that 14 is really is the key 
seek good and not evil, doesn't it? It's not saying preach, preach good and call everybody else's evil out. Seek good and not evil. So for yourself, look for the good things. I suppose, you know, we could probably include our friends and family and that kind of thing, but feeling the need to speak out publicly on everything, maybe that's not the point. You know, I'm thinking as we're as we're talking here, I'm reminded of the fruit of the spirit mentioned in Galatians. And I, I and I've always found it interesting that the fruit of the spirit is mentioned as singular. Like once you're in line with the spirit, you will produce all of this fruit in a comprehensive <laughs> crop. Mm. <laughs> Which I look at the list and I think, oh dear. <laughs> but there's there's a there's a finale to that list. So the fruit of the Spirit is, right? It's a singular statement. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness. What's the uh, gentleness, goodness? What's the last one? I can't remember. Whatever it is. And then it finishes (laughs) and it says, against such there is no law. So maybe the way to do this is to, and, and and basically, and when I say do this, I mean make this functional in real life. Maybe the way to make this functional in real life is to skip the details and just encourage the fruit without necessarily spending a lot of time calling out or naming the other things. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I just that this gets really tricky to me. Mm -hmm. Like I look around and I see plenty of things that are wrong and the people that are doing them feel fully justified from their point of view. And, and, and I always hesitate and I think, well, do I just not know something? Like I'm I certainly don't know everything, but I have to make judgment calls about my own choices, my own behavior from my point of view. That's, that's what I'm limited to. That's the only thing I can claim full knowledge of is my experience, my knowledge, my point of view. And I, and I have no illusions that that is complete. And so I think there's a lot of grace when we're dealing with other people. And yet we are called to take a stance against wrong. I think that's half the battle, though, is to know that you don't know everything. And I think that's what's hard, um, is that sometimes we just want to make those kind of assumptions. And then we, we put it out there, and then sometimes we have to retract. And, it's, and I think that's the hardest part, is knowing that, you know what, I don't know everything. And if I do make a mistake have the accountability or responsibility to to correct it yeah yeah i think we're probably far better off just acting out as an example rather than trying to point out yeah faults yeah, yeah. i think i think so because I, yeah it's just we we just i'm in a glass house over here you know if mm-hmm. we're going to start pointing out faults and somebody goes oh yeah well what about you that's it the conversation's over like i've got no high ground yeah. Well, and clearly, clearly there are times when God wants things to be pointed out. This whole book we're reading here, this book of Amos, it's Amos pointing out the faults that have been going on. Uh, but I think that's probably the extreme example and not the normative example, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know, unless you you particularly feel called as a prophet and I would. <laughs> You know, I would uh, I would question that to the nth degree if, if I can't uh, even I, remember the last time that happened. <laughs> <laughs> last time you felt called out to be a prophet. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, unless you have you you are one hundred percent sure you've got that calling, you're probably better off just staying quiet and uh, just living your life. So I um I will not name names here, but a number of years ago, I lived in a different state, and a friend of mine was um, cheating on her husband. And I knew her very well. I knew her husband very well. I knew her boyfriend very well. I knew the ins and outs of that situation. I knew all the participants. I knew who knew what and why they were doing it. And in her shoes, I might have made the same decision because her relationship with her husband was not what she needed and she was basically starving to death in a marriage. She reached out for comfort to someone that was available and this thing had been ongoing for nine years before I found out about it. And you never would have known that looking at any of them from the outside, you never would have guessed it. So to me, there were several violations going on. You know, first of all, stick to your marriage. So there's that. Second of all, there's dishonesty between her and her spouse. There's dishonesty between the boyfriend and his spouse. There's dishonesty between the two guy friends, right? Like there's dishonesty all the way around. And yet she, she, it's wrong to get divorced. And so she didn't want to leave her husband. So she's staying in place in a miserable situation where she feels like she's dying and she isn't necessarily treated well. And then she's getting this over here on the side to keep her happy. And she said flat out, if all I had was my husband, I wouldn't be happy. I would be absolutely miserable. I wouldn't even want to live. I get it. So clearly this is wrong, but but you can't misunderstand it. It is 100% understandable. And so my, but I felt called to say something, but I said it as a friend. And, and so basically what I said was, well, all of that is true and all of that is even understandable, but I can guarantee you one thing, your relationship with your spouse will never get better as long as you are injecting an element of fantasy over here on the side, mm. because you and he automatically lose any chance of success when there's an element of fantasy involved because reality can't live up to fantasy. So if you if you want to sit here and tell me that these this is your choice to do, that's one thing. If you want to sit here and tell, you know, I object. If you want to sit here and tell me that this is your choice to do until your marriage gets better, I'm going to argue with you. Because your marriage is never going to get better with this thing in the way. And she was like, huh, I never thought of that. Right. So I felt called to say something. And so that's what I said. And two couple months later, she says to me very quietly one day, I've broken things off with my boyfriend. And I'm going to give my marriage a chance. And if it fails, it fails. But I will have actually given it a chance. And Mm. I felt like I did the right thing there. I felt called to say those specific things in that specific setting. In in the spirit of friendship and genuine love and affection. 
in a way that yeah. she could understand. And she was the pivotal point there. Like it was her involvement that everything else springboarded off of. So if she bailed, then the whole house of cards came down and her marriage stood alone to either succeed or, or fall. But that was that's an example of a time when I felt called to say a specific thing. And I and 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 I did it. But most of the time I don't feel called to say a specific thing. Most of the time I feel called to say, well, but what about what God says? Or what about this over here? And sort of point to maybe what it should be instead of dwelling on what it shouldn't be. Something I like about that story, and I think I'm seeing it even here in Amos and in other other similar prophecy things that we've been reading, is that you called out the action without demeaning the person. <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we can we can believe that the thing is bad. We can believe that the thing is harmful. We can even say that the thing is bad or harmful. Uh, but just because just because somebody's doing something bad or harmful for themselves does not make them a bad person. And I have I can't think of I can't think of times that we've read here where God was telling the people that you are bad people. You know. This is big rotten choices sometimes, for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. But he's, and this is really important. It one, God establishes why I have a right to talk to you about this. Hey, I have a relationship with you. Hey, I saved you from the fire. Hey, I've been working with you for a really long time. He does it out of love because he wants them to turn and repent. It's not just that. Well, you're going to burn. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> good luck with that. And that's what we see a lot of uh, stuff going on nowadays. People shouting out of the people, oh, you're going to burn. You're going to, you know, and there's no love in that. There's no relationship in that. There's no call to repentance in that. It's just kind of a joy in, yeah, wait till you see how you're going to suffer. And we, we almost see that in, in verse, in chapter 518, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would mm-hmm. you? Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's kind of like people are like, ah, yeah, wait till the Lord comes. It's going to be awesome. And I think Amos is saying, I don't think it means what you think it means. (laughs) Because, and he follows that up. If we have time, I'll read a quote from C.S. Lewis on that. It's really amazing. But he, these people think that they're doing so awesome. And they're like, yeah, apparently they're calling the day of the Lord like, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. And he's saying, Amos is saying, I don't think it's what you think it is. It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. It's like out of the frying pan into the fire. It's like, well, away from the lion and into the bear. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's for you who are not doing what you should be doing. And I would encourage Jesus quotes basically the same thing. Matthew 7, 21, 23, like people show up at the second coming and like, hey, didn't we do all this stuff? And he's like, actually, I don't know who you are. Because as he finishes uh, five, he really lays in, look, I hate your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. We mentioned this earlier. This sounds like it's just straight out of Isaiah. It does. (laughs) Because it's the same message. It's like, you guys think you have this all together. And you, you, I mean, it just goes on, you know, your peace offerings, your noise of your songs, and people get into worship wars nowadays, like, well, it's because you're using the wrong instruments, and you're playing it too fast. Well, here you think, it's solemn assemblies, 
They're playing harps for crying out loud. You can't come up with a more wonderful, peaceful instrument than this. So it's not about the, the tempo of your music or the instrument you're using. God's saying, not okay. And he ends up with, you know, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, which, if that sounds familiar to some of our audience, is it was put into one of the greatest speeches in modern time by uh, Martin Luther King as, as he was presenting the I Have a Dream speech. This is a, I studied rhetoric and persuasion in college, and he, he takes this right out of the book of Amos. So God's saying, you're going through the motions, doing all this stuff, and then saying, yeah, God's on our side. We're, we got, we're waving the flag. We're beating people with the flag of Christ. You know, we're sticking some of them, we're poking them with it, but we're carrying the flag of Jesus. Amos is saying, that's not okay. Not good enough. God is not happy with you here. Yeah. Yeah. You're, the, the things you're doing, you're doing them. You don't really care about it. You don't really you're not really interested in what any of that stuff is supposed to represent. And I guess in the case of Israel, opposed to Judah in this case, um, they really had been, I mean, it had all been directed in the wrong direction anyway, towards all those things that, uh, was it Jeroboam had set up when he kind of split, when they split off from Judah. And, and uh, yeah, all this stuff, all this ritual, all this, all this, all these things you're doing, it's you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it in the wrong direction. And uh, because you haven't been following the instructions that God gave, because you haven't been trying to actually walk with God, that day of the Lord is not going to be a pleasant experience in that case. And he talks about, did you, you know, you offered me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, but you also carried along your idols and all your false worship. You you um you you never really committed you never really you've never really yeah just you never really committed i think to, that's to the key anything. though right there is the fully committed mm-hmm. and it and i think that's where it, it gets us all and that we read over and over and over is that you know what you initially start off good and then you couldn't follow through you couldn't yeah. couldn't couldn't could or didn't feel, feel. couldn't or wouldn't and so the the chapter ends because of all this, because because of all this stuff, because of your lack of commitment, because you haven't learned, because because you just keep doing your own things. It says I'm going to send you into captivity beyond Damascus. That sounds like uh, that sounds like punishment. And I suppose it's it's punishment, but it's when we look at this through the glasses of grace that we've. I think we've been trying to view everything through ever since uh, we've started the podcast. Even I think this captivity is grace on God's part because he's going to take, he's taken them out of the situation. He's taken them out of the situation. They've, they've clearly shown they can't handle it. They need to have some correction. They need to have, uh, they, they need to regain their bearings and understand what it is they're losing and so he's going to take it away from them um we're all parents we've had to take things away from our kids you know and you don't necessarily do it because you don't want them to have it but you just know that they they're they're not handling it and they need to have a change of perspective 
And that is what is coming for them here. Uh, so, you know, it's not really a happy message from Amos, but it is a necessary one. And one that we can take to heart and uh, contemplate in our own lives. How, you know, are we are we doing the things that we should be doing? Are we doing them for the right reasons? Are we are we directing them in the right direction? Just, I'm going to uh, throw one more thing in here. Yeah. This like you said, this isn't like a, a bunch of happy reading. Like it starts off with a bunch of punishment. I'm going to do this to these people. You mm -hmm. are my chosen and I'm going to punish you, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the text I was thinking of earlier. It's in Hebrews. It says, uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? And that's, that is the gist of what we read. Yeah. Like, because you are special, I'm going to punish you. Turn to me and live. Stop doing this. Stop doing that turn to me and live yeah i think that is that is that is the underlying message yes. the message isn't so much the punishment the message is turn to me and live yes that's that's the part to look at and focus on and and even understanding that you know what the punishment is just to get you to turn just to get you to just it's 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 for correction it's for yeah, stop doing to, what you're doing do this yeah. instead it's to get you back on the path, get you back where you should be going, looking in the right direction. And, um, you know, I mean, looking down through, I think it it's sort of worked where they they got their act together eventually. I mean, we know that by the time of Jesus, they were maybe a little too strict and maybe, you know, had the blinders on a little too tightly. But they finally I do think they finally learned some of that lesson of of um, of setting aside all that other garbage and focusing trying to focus on god and trying to be the trying to be that example that they were supposed to be all along well next week we will i believe it's finish up the book of amos we're going to read chapters six through nine book of amos uh, and continue and see what he has to say for them in the meantime remember you can reach out to us at attv podcast at the you can find us on facebook Please share the podcast with your friends and family. Get the, the message out to them as well. And be sure you subscribe to the podcast so that we reach you each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.